I am thrilled with today's guest. I'm a big fan, Mike Breen. I can't say he's, I'm not allowed to say he's the voice of the NBA because somebody, recent interviewer, <laughs> did that and got chastised. So I'm going to just be a little more official. He is the lead play by play announcer for the NBA on ASPN and ABC, also the lead announcer for the New York Knicks, my New York Knicks on MSG Networks. He's a two time Emmy winner. He's a uh, member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, a Kurt Gowdy Award winner, a Vince Scully Award winner. Um, one of the best guys around. You talk to anybody, nobody's got a bad word about Mike Breen. He just did his 100th NBA final game, his 18th NBA finals. Jesus, man. Been around a long time, buddy. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting tired. Yeah, I'm getting tired going through it. You know, <laughs> these are all old age milestones, Donnie. That's <laughs> that's what these are. But thank you. That's very very kind of you. Uh, I love the way you say my New York Knicks. Yes, my New York Knicks. And, and you know, we're going to start with the Knicks because I, we just have to. I, I I mean, I am a frequent guest at games. Uh, I love the Knicks. I'm a long suffering fan. I would love your. We obviously came off a pretty good season. Uh, we found our point guard. Um, you know, we won a playoff series. Give me your prognostication about my, my New York Knicks going forward. There, there's real hope. Uh, I think that's probably the best thing I can say for for Knicks fans, because like you, I've been a Knicks fan since I was a kid, and we've had some rough years. But uh, the addition of Jalen Brunson, as you mentioned, that, that's changed everything. When you have, and he's a star player. He's, he's a super. He's a, a superstar. He is a superstar. I mean, you you know, he could have been an All NBA, no question about it. And probably would have been a star player earlier, but he was playing along a legendary young player in Luka Doncic. Gets away from them, he gets his own team. So he's given great hope, and and not only his presence as a player, but now his presence will entice others, hopefully, to come and want to play with him because he's the type of. Not only player, he's the type of teammate, he's the type of young man that other players want to play with. So right now there's great hope. Uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason. Do they make some trades to make them better now? Do they still develop the younger players? A lot has to happen. But there's real hope right now, and Jalen Brunson's the number one reason. Um, why has it been so – there's obviously a lot of talk about the Knicks and the culture and Dolan. and The Knicks – considering they are New York City, have underwhelmed in their ability to attract free agents. What's your take on that? Well, I think a lot of it was uh, they've tried to hit home runs and they've tried to to be great right away as opposed to rebuilding. There are some that thought that New York City fans and Knicks basketball fans were not the type that, that wanted to withstand a rebuilding and take time to get there, which I don't think is true. So they were always trying to hit that home run on a deal. And sometimes it was acquiring a player past his prime. Yes. Sometimes it was acquiring a player that may have had some injury history and it didn't turn out well. And all these things, what happens when you make one of those swings and you miss, it sets you back a couple of years. And and that's what some of the previous regimes have done, what I love what this regime is doing is they are being patient. Uh, they are being pragmatic. And and I think that's the way you have to go because if you swing and miss, it really does set you back. It does. Just, and they've been legendary. I, I'll tell you, there is nothing like being at a Knicks game when, when the Knicks are on fire, when the Knicks are right. I mean, just I was at three playoff games this year. Uh, it just, the garden is electric. There's nothing, I mean, obviously it's not a finals. But there's something about the Garden and the Knicks that is there's and I'm a New Yorker my entire life, so I have all of the I get all the stimuli of New York. There's nothing like a Nick game though. 
Donnie, um, I get to go to, to every arena in the country, uh, every arena in the league, and there's some phenomenal atmospheres. And I'm probably not completely objective here because I grew up in New York, but there is no better place on a big event, on a big night, and whether it's the Knicks, whether it's the Rangers, whether it's a special concert, whether it's a heavyweight fight, it doesn't matter. That place just has an electricity that's different than any other place. And you're right. Um, I sat in the stands on a couple of the Heat games because TNT were doing some of those games. So I had a chance to, to sit. And it had been a while since I experienced a playoff game in the stands. And I agree with you. It was it was magnificent. You get to work with some exciting partners on your ESPN ABC games. You work with Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. And, of course, you work with the legendary Walt Frazier, Walt Clyde Frazier, who's one of the best guys around. And you actually still have a poster of Frazier in your childhood house in Yonkers that's still that your mom still lives at. Yeah. Um, she's 90 now, and she still lives there. And the poster is still up. I was there last week, and, and there it is. I hung it up, I think, when I was 10 years old. And I was so proud of that poster because, you know, he clearly was one of my, my favorite players when I was a kid. And how it has survived all of these years. So it's been up over 50 years. And just the, the irony of, of me as a kid hanging that up. And now he's like a lifetime, not just my partner, he's a lifelong friend. Um, you know, the phrase beyond your wildest dreams, that's what I'm living with, with things like that. And he is, he's been such a treasure in my life um, as a partner and as a friend. And it's been, you know, a dream come true to be the Nick broadcaster. But to sit alongside with him all these years, uh, can't make this stuff up, Donnie. You pitch yourself when you're sitting in a game, <clears throat> and I'll see you there, uh, and you're kind of sitting courtside at the Garden, or you're calling an NBA Finals. And it's like every boy's dream. Do you pinch yourself and and go every time you're there? I mean, it's it's just well, it's the most. It's got to be the most fun job. Not easy. Obviously, there's a lot of prep that goes into it and a lot of pressure. But just talk about a fucking dream job, you know? Yeah. Uh- it's hard to describe because, and I, I will never take it for granted. I can't pinch myself every game. But what I've tried to do uh, over the years is every once in a while, I'll, I'll go sit in the stands before a game when they allow the crowd to come in. And you see the crowd filing in. And so often it's it's a father taking his son or taking his daughter or a mom taking her son or daughter to their first game. And when you see the looks on their eyes when, when they come out and see this arena and they see the players on the floor, it reminds you of what the way you felt the first time you went into the garden. So I'll never take it for granted. And I love one of my favorite parts of the job is, is interactions with the fans and watching how they respond when they meet Clyde. Uh, Because I was one of those fans. I was one of those starry eyed kids and and it, it never, ever, ever gets old. And that's even during some of the years, Donnie. Let's face it, the Knicks have had some rough seasons yes, they have. over the past 20 years. And the thing that always blew me away, every year, there'd be a game in April. And they had been eliminated from playoff contention for a month already. And if it was a three-point game with two minutes to go, the building sounded like it was an NBA Finals game. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of it. The Knicks fans um, are just – they're special. Uh, they care so much. They're so loyal. They deserve – they deserve a team that they can cheer behind like the team they had this year. It is great. So you just got finished calling, obviously, Denver Nuggets, uh, new champions, fourth fourth new team in the last four years. You know, there's a lot of talk about dynasties, but 
What's great about the NBA, there's incredible parity. I, I mean, for the most, they just year in, year out. Uh, obviously, we've lived through Le- LeBron's teams. We lived through Curry's teams. But uh, it was exciting and fresh to see Jokic, uh, obviously a major, major superstar this year. Talk to me about the ups, the, the upside downside of calling a finals like this one with fresh teams versus the tried and true superstars that we watch here. And I could give, as a marketer, I could give 100 reasons why one is better than the other one. You know, Donnie, I agree with you because there's there's good sides to each each way you want to look at it. Uh, we all love the David and Goliaths. We, we love the dynasties. Who can knock them off? Who can dethrone this this heavyweight champion that, that's been winning the last several years? But there's something so special about the parody, and it leads to the unpredictability mm-hmm. of a sporting event. And that's – unless you're, you know, a fan of a certain team, when you watch it and you don't know who's going to win, that – that's thrilling. And this year, the entire NBA season was a season of unpredictability because there was no clear-cut favorite because you had so many different teams that had added star players. Would they mesh? You had other teams that had star players out. Would they come back and be healthy? So you had all these these possible contenders for a championship, and that makes it fun for everybody and every arena you go into. Then you have this team, Denver, who – they were kind of overlooked. Yeah, they're good, but they've never gotten to the even mm-hmm. past the conference finals. So it, it just made for, for an exciting season from that standpoint. And then when you have a, a new team like Denver with a superstar like Jokic, um, who wants nothing to do with the spotlight, he just wants to play, and go home. win with his teammates, <laughs> and go home. Yeah. Right. Um, when you have these new narratives, these new stories to tell from a broadcaster standpoint, it's so enjoyable because – they're all fresh. All these stories are fresh. And you love to tell the stories of these young players uh, because everybody has a great story. And, you know, Golden State, I, I love watching Golden State. They've got some just terrific young men and terrific players with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, and the group there. Uh, but it's also nice on the other side when you have a young team like this, like these Denver Nuggets, to tell, tell the stories of, of somebody that many people hadn't heard of before. Speaking of Curry, you got a nice gift recently from Curry. You, you, one of your famous calls was your double bang call. Uh, I think it was 2016 against the uh, Curry against the Thunder. And uh, pick up the story from there. You got you got a nice gift recently from Curry. Yeah, he he, um, he made a new sneaker. Uh, you know, he's his I guess you call brand is just off the charts. He's so popular with with uh, with everybody that he had a new sneaker and he and he called it the bang sneaker. And it was kind of played off that that call, which was one of the great performances I've ever seen in the regular season, maybe the best in regular season, or certainly one of them. Um, I was so humbled, Donnie, by it um, because I have such respect and admiration for him as a player and as a and as a man. For him to to think of me on something like that was again, you don't you don't dream about stuff like that. But what it made me feel is I right, maybe. Maybe I'm doing my job the right way because if it brought ex- the proper excitement, if it gave a great play the, the recognition that it deserved, um, then that's what you hope to do. Because I, I, I feel I feel my job's a responsibility. You know, these players sacrifice so much to put themselves in a position to succeed, and when they do something spectacular, you want to make sure you you do the moment justice. And I guess in that particular play, uh, I did the moment justice. And, and that's satisfying because that's what your goal is, 
to make sure you do justice to what these incredible players do on the floor. He sent you, he, they came out with a kind of a collector's item, two, sne- two of his sneakers, a double bang sneaker collection. Yeah, it's, it's this beautiful box. <laughs> I, I could never wear these sneakers. Like they, it means too much to me. And it's this beautiful box with a video inside. You open the thing and it has the actual play call from the video and a special thank you message from him. Um, you know, as I, as I get older and maybe feel the same way, I, I get more emotional. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a really emotional moment because, it you know, it's it, it, again, it shows you around a long time, but it, that it meant something to him meant so much to me. Well, talking about emotion, you had a very tough year. Uh, you back in September, your house just burned down to the ground in, in Manhasset, Long Island. Um, you've talked a lot about it and the emotion that it brought to you. Thank God everybody was okay. Uh, your son could have been home, but he wasn't. But the outpouring that you got from people, it's, it's been life affirming for you as devastating as it was on a personal level. You lost so many mementos. We'll talk about that. I, I just in reading so many interviews with you, how you've been able to flip that around and, and people showing you the love and the, the reverence and the caring that you've walked away almost more positive as a result of it. Um, it, it. It was something I didn't expect, Donnie. It, it was, it was overwhelming, um, you know, because first off, again, like you said, nobody was in the house and that's number one. And, and the other thing too is like, yes, we lost our home. We lost everything that was in it, but we had a place to go and we had really good insurance that has taken care of us through this time. And, and I kept thinking about, you know, you hear stories of pe- people whose homes burn down. They don't have insurance. They get put in a in a motel for the next year, and they don't have any any you know any resources or, or that support that I have. And, and I can't imagine what that's like. Where we were, we had so much around us, and that's what what blew me away. Once the word got out, um, the amount of kindness and love that we received, you know, from obviously from family and close friends. But from from so many colleagues, colleagues that I see every day, colleagues that I hadn't heard from in 10 years, and they all wanted one thing. How can we help? Yeah. And it was every day like that. And people offering me their cars to use, people offering me their homes. Oh, I've got an apartment in New York City that we don't use. Make that your home for the next year. Um, and you didn't know what to tell them because there were so much, so many things to do. But every single call, every single text was was so touching because it's an amazing thing to find out that you have all these incredible people in your life. And, and you know that, but it was an unbelievable reminder. And it, it was so genuine. People just cared. And to feel so cared about for, for you and your family, um, I will remember that and be more emotional about that than anything to do with the fire for the rest of my life. You got like 500 texts that night You because you were away when it happened. Thank God, actually. Was there any one text or any one response that could have been from one of the people closest to you or even a stranger that sticks with you that just was so life-affirming? You know, that, I, I hate to specify one because like even, even the ones that just said, hey, Mike, we're here for you. You just let me know what you want to do. It, it meant as much as any of them. Um, there are a lot of people that, that didn't just text that first time. I'd get a text two days later, just checking back in. What do you need? Uh, I mean, so many people like that. Uh, it was, it really was incredible. I, I don't, 
I, I don't want to single out one because there were so many people that, that it meant so much to me and to my wife and to my kids um, that it's, again, it, it wasn't a specific gesture. It was just going out of their way, take time from their lives to say, we're here for you, whatever you need. Yeah, obviously, anybody with a home, you lose your lifetime of mementos and things and your clothes and your photographs and everything. You had you had collected mementos from your career, obviously. And there was one that you thought you lost, but your wife kind of rescued and refurbished. And tell us tell us about that. So one year, the NBA had um, they had this little theme for the week where they were allowing players on the back of their jerseys to play with any nickname they wanted to put on. With, with a couple of stipulations, clearly. Uh, but everybody had their nickname. Um, we were doing a game, um, and they allowed us, or they the NBA presented us with, with jerseys to have our nicknames. For example, Jeff Van Gundy's was the notorious JVG. <laughs> Mine was the Grey, <laughs> the Grey Mamba. So um, I thought it was cool, the Grey Mamba. And I thought, you know what? I'm not an autograph seeker, um, and I don't like to take advantage of, of my job to get that. But I had a really nice relationship with Kobe Bryant, who, of course, was called the Mamba. And the next Laker game, I, uh, I brought him to Jersey. I said, listen, I said, I got this. Would you mind signing it? And he wrote, uh, from one Mamba to, the, to another. <laughs> wow. And that meant a lot to me yeah. because who he was as a player, and I had gotten to know him um, pretty well, and especially after his career. And, you know, it was such a horrific, tragic loss when, when he passed away in that plane crash with, with, the, with his daughter and those other children. Um, so it was an emotional thing that, that I, I took pride in. And I thought we lost it. But my wife, who was handling while well, I was traveling around the country um, doing games, because we started preseason game a week after the yeah. fire, uh, she was handling everything. And the salvage crew that goes in and tries to see if there's anything salvageable, they found that and they were able to refurbish it. It's got some, you know, some marks on it stuff, but I, I don't care. The fact that she was able to get that back, um, that was very meaningful. Yeah. Speaking of Lakers, you know, obviously we live living through the LeBron generation. He's a generational player. One thing that I don't think gets talked about enough, obviously his, 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 his career speaks for itself, how this guy, since he's 14, has been in the public eye. And the worst controversy was him calling a bad conference in Miami. But his family, his the, what, this, what this guy does for the community, I think we take for granted what a monstrous, humane career this guy has had, be off the court, and how there's not been one blemish. It's almost astounding. You know, Donnie, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I felt that way. I, you know, I, I've never understood uh, some of the vitriol that comes his way. You know, when he was a player, he was he was the villain. He was the number one villain that one year when he when he went to Miami. Yeah. And part of it was that press conference. But um, his whole career, first off, on the floor, his whole career was not about his accolades. It was about winning championships, was about playing for his teammates. He's one of the great superstars who were so unselfish in his career. So that was his goal every year to compete for a title. And, and in most years, his team was in the hunt for a title, uh, which is also an extraordinary thing. But as you say, the amount of times he's been given interviews and has talked publicly and to not have those missteps. Yeah, once in a while he might say something that gets people 
uh, wincing a little bit. But it's amazing how he has been able to, in the spotlight, as intense a spotlight as anybody who's ever played the game in the NBA. There's no question about that, how he's never had any kind of misstep. He's a great family man. The amount of money he gives to charity, what he's done for young kids, what he's done for the youth in, in his hometown in Cleveland and in Akron, it, it's off the charts. Uh, he's done so much with his platform as well. So uh, I have nothing but but great I mean, just mad respect and admiration for what he's able to accomplish. Who are the other players that have really touched you over the years? It's not a question of who's a nice guy, who's not a nice guy, but the guys who, you know, you've been doing this a long time, who you just have had a connection with and you've been able to see their humanity that we might not know about. Well, I think Steph Curry's in that that category as well. And not just because he gave me a sneaker, Uh, but I've seen him. Uh, the way he treats everybody, not just his teammates, his coaches, um, the staff, uh, the, the ushers and security at the arenas. He knows everybody by name. Him and his wife are so active in the community and, and what they've been able to do. You know, it's hard when you get to that level of, of stardom, whether it's LeBron James or Steph Curry. And to be able to be so grounded as Steph Curry is, uh, I, I find that just extraordinary. And that comes from his parents including his dad, Dell, um, who was an NBA player for many years and sure. a really good one. For him to, to, to raise a young man like this who is, you know, again, he's been in the spotlight for a long time and he just seems to, to embrace it and use his platform the right way, both basketball-wise and off the court. So he's really up there as well. Future, Wembenyaya, obviously the the uh, uh, top probably you're going to say prospect since since LeBron seven four out of France. Uh, obviously, somehow they he's been blessed, chose by the Spurs with Greg Popovich. Um, give me your take on him and what we can expect. Well, normally, Donnie, I, I don't like to 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 evaluate a player that I've never seen in person, and I've never seen him play in person, but I've seen. I've seen him on, on TV. I've seen the videos of what he can do. Um, and it's scary at his size what he's able to do agility-wise, skill-wise. But more importantly, even some of the most jaded people in the media that I know who hate hyperbole, they are saying he has to be a, a chance to be one of the all-time greats. Now, he's got a long ways to go before he gets there. But he has all the tools, and perhaps just as much as the physical tools, he appears to have the mental makeup to be able to handle that. And at the same time, having the drive and confidence that he can do that. So I think you add all that together and there's that special factor. You know, the one thing that everybody talks about, and it's a legitimate thing to bring up. Size, yeah. Many times players that size are very prone to injury. But he's got a different kind of athleticism at, at his size than I've seen anybody ever have. At that size, so you know, he seems like a, just this this wonderful young man who can who can you know be a special all time player. So you hope he stays injury. You hope he stays focused. The Spurs are a great place in terms of uh, player development. So it's it's going to be exciting. The good thing is though he'll be on TV a lot oh, next oh, yeah. year. Yes, they will. Along those lines, the NBA, going back to David Stern and now with Adam Silver, has always been such a brilliant marketing machine. They, and what they always understood, 
And I've talked about this on the air that Major League Baseball never got. They understand they're a star system. They understood that they always sold the league. This goes back to when Johnson and, uh, and Bird came in the league. They understood these are guys in shorts that are very exposed, and they sold the players first, and that's the way they sold the league. And it's been a brilliant marketing strategy. That's David Stern. Yeah, uh, that was that was his strategy. And you know, some people said, "Ah, it's still a team sport," and it clearly is. There's nothing better than seeing five players work together that can beat a team that's more talented, but because they play so well together. That's that's still one of my favorite things. But in order to make the league as popular as it is, and the popularity across the globe is just it's just off the charts, uh, was a brilliant strategy. And and I think that's that's important in terms of, like you say, because it's not like football where you have helmets that are covering up. These guys are exposed out there and, and, and to put them out there, but at the same time maintaining the you know, the importance of team basketball. And that's why San Antonio is so great for this guy, because, you know, somebody like Tim Duncan, um, you know, excelled in that, even though he was a spectacular individual player, it was all about winning. And that's where these guys reached the superstardom. Yeah, you can be a great star, but if your team doesn't win, you're never going to achieve that. And the the truly great ones understand that. You, this year's draft, four out of the five top players came from developmental leagues, did not come from college basketball. Your roots are in college basketball, calling Fordham games. Um, are we at all concerned with the state of college basketball now that, that it's, there seems to be a different path? And you, you don't seem to get to watch teams develop anymore, obviously. You know, we I grew up watching these great North Carolina teams and Villanova teams and, and Duke teams, and obviously it's one and done. Give me your take on the state of college basketball. Yeah, I am a little concerned um, because I think, you know, what you exactly what you said made it so popular to watch teams develop. All the good players now are pretty much pretty much one and done. And that's important for them because these players deserve sure. it. They're yeah, good absolutely. enough to play in yeah. the NBA. Man, they, they should be allowed. But I, I think, you know, the transfer portal – is also helpful for the individual, but for the game, I don't know if it's if it's the best thing. You got players, you know, leaving programs and going, and and it's like all over the place, and and all the conference realignment that's happened has hurt so many of the great rivalries that were in the sport. Um, but then you watch the NCAA tournament every year, and you, you yeah, forget about just, all that it's stuff, true. It's and true. you just love this single elimination thing. You get caught up in the March Madness every year, so. Yeah, is there a concern? I think so. And I think with, with the players now getting, and I think rightfully so, being able to make money off their off their images, um, I think you open up a Pandora's box. But at the same time, it seems like it always survives all the things that they go through. There's always been changes. I even remember back when they first brought in the three-point shot, people, it was like Armageddon. Oh, my goodness, the three-point shot, it's going to ruin the game. I, I think the game has survived okay I think the game's done okay. Shot. Give me a Jeff Van Gundy story. You've talked about that if people could see him, there'd be a sitcom there'd be that's successful as Seinfeld. Give me a great, because he's just such a character, and I've always loved him as a coach. And you guys have so much fun. Give me a one behind-the-scenes Jeff Van Gundy story to sum him up as a character. Yeah, um, you know, we talked earlier about the joy of, of doing what we do, and, and part of me... The joy has been working with Jeff and with Mark Jackson, uh, two guys I've known for 30 years. It's That's the dream come true, being able to sit alongside those two. 
And Jeff just makes it fun. I always keep saying he, he laughs and he makes me laugh. And I learn every single broadcast I do with him uh, because he's so smart. But he is he's nuts. And when we when we have blowout games, there's always a little trepidation. All right, where is he going to go? Because he's very big on rules. And uh, my favorite one that he brought up one time. So we're doing a blowout. And it's a 24-point game. And it's in the middle of the third quarter. And we have a long way to go. And this team has no chance of coming back. And he goes, I got a new rule. He goes, anytime a team goes up by 20, if the team that's trailing hits a half-court shot, game is tied right then and there. <laughs> that's very funny. <laughs> he goes, how much fun? And then the teams would just be chucking up half-court shots to get back in. One might go in. That's amazing. So it's like his, his stream of consciousness uh, with regards to basketball is just, um, it, it's so much fun to be around. Uh, he knows the game so, so well. Um, doesn't take himself too seriously. He just, he has fun. And I think that's important in today's telecast. Listen, there's certain games like NBA Finals game, you got to stick to basketball and talk strategy. But throughout the whole season, it's okay to have some fun and have some laughs. And and I think that, that he provides both teaching the game and making you laugh about the game all the time. Speaking of characters, you had both the privilege and the onus of following one of your boyhood heroes, Marv Albert, as a play-by-play guy on the Knicks. I've always been a huge Marv Albert fan. Talk to me about your relationship with Marv. Well, Marv, in, in my opinion, has always been and will always be the official voice of the NBA. He's he's the greatest basketball play-by-play voice ever uh, to be on the air. And when you grow up listening to him, you know, that had a profound impact. First off, in, in my interest in doing this, but then the impact, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it like Marv. I can't be Marv, but like Marv. And when I first got the job, my first job uh, with the Knicks, I got the NBA, uh, uh, the radio play-by-play job. And I was sitting at home and I got the call from from Mike McCarthy, who was the man who hired me, who without him, who knows. Um, but then shortly thereafter, the phone rings and I pick up the phone and it's Marv to congratulate me and, and welcome me to the um, to the uh, to the Knicks and to the NBA, and I, I got off the phone. I remember looking at my wife and said, "That was that was Marv Albert. Marv <laughs> Albert just called my house to th- have me come in." And you know, he he um, for for so many of us, he's the standard. He's the gold standard that we look up to, and he set the standard that we're all trying to get to. We'll never reach, but he's given us that standard to go to. And uh, I just recently got a really really nice text from him. Um, congratulating me on on some of the success, and uh, as I said to him in return, I, I you have no idea how much that means to me. All right, before I let you go, there's one other character we've got to talk about. Um, he's the producer of the show, Lou Pellegrino, who coincidentally is your f- wife's first cousin. Give me a Lou story so I can hock him a little bit. <laughs> now, Lewis is Lewis is always well behaved. Uh, I, uh, my wife uh, and the Pellegrinos are, you know, so many family gatherings together over all the years. And I used to have when we used to, to drive um, to the various, whether it's a wedding, whether it's a holiday party, I'd always, because there were so many relatives, I, I'd have to quiz my wife, who is, who is Aunt Jeannie's husband again? Who, and going through all this stuff. And then I'd get there. And they're like, I'd be at first, I'm a little uncomfortable because I don't know 
everybody's name and I'm trying to remember. And Lewis, whenever Lewis was there, Lewis was like that. That was my comfort guy because right. we talked sports and he was so friendly and he would help me with some yeah, of the That's Uncle, some that's of the Uncle Louis, well. yeah. I cannot, I cannot say anything bad about Lewis. I love Lewis. Uh, too bad, too bad. I love Lewis also. He's a, he's a big part of the show. Mike Green, I'm a big fan. I really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Oh, Donnie, I'm honored that you asked. Uh, we recently had a chance to have some dinner together, and I so enjoyed that. I hope we can do it again this summer. You got it, buddy. 